Welcome to the Center Ranch Church Weekly Podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. Again, it's good to see you this morning. Thank you so much for being with us today. Glad that you are here. We're going to continue our, our series called the children's bread, talking about healing, talking about God's desire to heal, his provision to heal. Some of you know, I uh, recently wrote a book, the same, same title, same, uh, same subject. We've covered a little bit of the material. This, is, this is, goes into to more depth and more thorough. I'd encourage you to grab a copy. If you haven't, we have them for sale in, in the lobby. And I'm encouraging you to do that because it's, it's based on the Word of God. It's going to take you further into the things we've been talking about. God, God has provided healing for you, and it's important that we build our faith on the subject, that we get strong in that area. Pastor Jonathan mentioned it last week, and it was, it was so good. You, the kind of harvest you want, you've got to sow seeds accordingly. And in the, God's Word, one of the things compared to a seed is, is the word of God. So dependent on that kind of harvest, I want a harvest of healing and strength and life and d- divine health in my life, in my body, in my family. I need to sow accordingly. So it's important to get good, good word-based teaching in your spirit and in your mind, in your family, along those lines. Amen? So we've got that. There's other books. Um, T.L. Osborne, Healing the Sick. I, I could recommend about 15 fantastic books on, on the subject, and I would encourage you to make that a regular part of your, your reading, of your studying. Get a few of those great books, make it something you go back and, and review once a year or so, and keep yourself fed along those lines. But we've been in this, this series, The Children's Bread, and the basis of it comes from Matthew chapter 15, an interaction that Jesus has with a Gentile woman. She comes to him because her daughter needs healed, They go back and forth a little bit, and Jesus introduces this analogy because she's not not a Jewish woman. She's a a, a Gentile, and so he says it's not good to take the children's bread and to give it to the dogs, and so he compares the healing, the deliverance that she is in pursuit of, compares that to bread, which Jesus could have selected any analogy that he wanted, but he intentionally chooses bread, and it lets us know a lot about God's perspective concerning health and healing, that it's not some shooting star, some rare thing that only a few of his his children get. In the mind of God, it is base-level provision, available for everyone, that he is a good father, he knows how to give good gifts, he also knows how to give regular sustenance, how to be a good provider for his kids, that Healing is the children's bread. It is base level, entry level provision for anyone who's a child of God. Now, when we talk like that and make the emphasis that it's base level provision, we're not trying to demean or belittle the significance of of healing and divine health. It's wonderful. It should be celebrated. We should be thankful for it. So we're not trying to, to lower it. We're trying to magnify the goodness of God and how thorough and consistent and reliable his provision is. Not trying to say uh, healing isn't that big of a deal. It's, it's like bread. No, it, it, God is so wonderful that he's made something as miraculous as healing and divine health, something that you can experience every day of your life. Amen? In this story in Matthew chapter 15, this woman, when Jesus says it's not right to give the children's bread to the dogs, she said, yeah, but the dogs get to eat the crumbs that fall to the floor. So we, we talked about how she knew, even as a dog, what belonged to her at dog level. 
okay, I don't get the bread. I don't get a loaf. I don't get a slice. I get crumbs. I'm a dog. I get the crumbs. She knew what belonged to her as a dog. Too many of the children of God don't know what belongs to them as children of God, what is rightfully yours, and miss out on incredible blessings. That's why we're, 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 we're pushing that point in this series so that the children of God know what belongs to them, what is rightfully theirs. Amen? She also understood that just a crumb was all she needed, that God's provision is so powerful, just a crumb would, would take care uh, of every need that she had. Sometimes we belittle and, and lower God's power and magnify the problems that we're up against when it should be the opposite. God's power is real. He is a powerful God, and, and nothing can come up against him successfully. Amen? He's powerful. We talked about how just because something's been provided for you doesn't mean that you get to enjoy that provision. You have to claim it. You've got to build your faith to lay hold of it. You've got to be determined. You've got to say, I've got to have what rightfully belongs to me. And we looked at the parallel between Jesus cleansing the temple with a whip and the attitude we should have driving sickness and disease out of our bodies, that there shouldn't be any kind of acceptance. A lot of times people will, will make acceptance for things that they think are common, aren't that big a deal, it's just allergies, it's just my sinuses, it's just a little arthritis in my knee, in my hip, it's just kind of headaches that I get every time, every day, this time of day. Whatever it is, stuff that you just put up with, that, that's a dangerous, a dangerous uh current to begin building in your, in your life. That when stuff comes, you know, if it got serious, then I'd fight against it. No, you're, you're slowly pacifying yourself to stuff in the temple that doesn't belong in the temple. That you, we, We've got to train ourselves the opposite. Any little thing that the enemy tries to put on us, a scratchy throat, uh, a runny nose, whatever it is, to come against that like it's from the enemy, because it is. Anything from the enemy, we don't want it in our lives, amen? So not to get under condemnation if you're experiencing any kind of sickness or any kind of hardship physically, but to get that kind of attitude, I've got to drive everything out of this temple that doesn't belong in the temple. Jesus had a violent attitude. He wasn't tolerant. He wasn't just kind of like, I'd really rather you guys move along. He was determined everyone had to go that didn't belong in that temple. And that's the attitude we've got to have in order to experience that kind of wholeness and that kind of health, you can't tolerate sickness at any level. Amen? Last week, Pastor Jonathan did an outstanding job talking about different mindsets to keep us from healing. Is he in here? That was, really, that was a great job. He did a great job talking about that last week. One of the points he made was making sure that we keep God's word where it should be and not allow experiences that we've had or someone else that we know has had to trump the word of God. And that's, that's what can sometimes happen. Even me saying, uh, you know, it's God's will to heal. God has provided healing. What pops up in your mind oftentimes is situations that you're aware of. Yeah, but what about, what about him? What about that case? What about Aunt Betty? What about granddad? What about whoever? You, you start thinking of all these exceptions where it didn't seem to play out that way and, and experience and circumstance begins to trump the word of God. That we've got to allow God's word to have first place in our lives. And when there seems to be a conflict, when it seems like experience and the word of God disagree on some point, my recommendation is that you side with the word of God. Learn, learn to go with the word of God when it seems to be like these two things aren't getting along 
People's tendency is to go with experience because you can feel it, you can touch it. But the, the word of God has got to trump all experience. Okay, I don't know what happened there, but here's what the word of God says. I, yeah, I, I don't know what happened to your uncle Ned, but here's what the word of God says. And I'm, I'm gonna, yeah, I appreciate that story. I'm sorry that you lost him. I'm still gonna stick with the word of God. God's word has to be our foundation and we can't slowly migrate to, to the sad story that we're aware of, that, that heartbreaking story. I'm not trying to, to dismiss any of that. It's not tragic and, and a shame and you know, heartbreaking and all of that. But God's word, God's word has to have first place. Yeah. And when you side with the word of God, you're not dismissing people's experience as insignificant. It's not saying I, I don't care about that. I, I do care about that, but I'm still siding with the word of God. If we learn to do that, we'll, we'll see the fruit of the word of God in our lives. Amen? Amen? Pastor Jonathan also talked about how it is the, God's will to heal everyone all the time. He used the story of the leper that came to Jesus and said, I know, I know you can heal me if you are willing. And that's how a lot of believers, where their level of faith is, they've got tremendous faith in God's ability. How many know God can do anything? God, yeah, there's nothing impossible for God. We believe that on that level, the, the side of faith that we struggle with is if God really wants to use that power on our behalf. I know you can. I just don't know if you really want to. I don't know if you're into, into healing me and taking care of me and my family. And so Jesus responded to that leper and he answered that question once and for all, I am willing be healed. And, and, and he was healed. And that's important. You can't really have faith to receive something if you're not sure if God even wants you to have it. So once that question starts to, to really build in your life, it undermines the faith necessary. That's true for healing. That's true for anything. It's true for salvation. If you start making salvation something that's only for certain people, it becomes impossible to have faith to receive it. When I give the altar call for people to get saved here in just a few minutes, I'm not going to say, hey, like 25% of you are available for salvation. I mean, you're not going to have faith to get saved, right? So it, the same thing applies to healing. You've got to know it, it is God's will to heal, period. And I loved how he made it personal. God, it's God's will to heal you. It's God's will to heal you. His desire for whatever you're dealing with in your body right now, your kids, your spouse, whoever, God's desire is for you to you specifically to be healed. Not, not just he wants other people. It's easy to believe on behalf of others. He wants you healed. And so we're gonna, we're gonna continue this series. Actually, we're gonna, we're gonna wrap it up uh, this morning and move on to something else next week. But let, let's pray one more time before we jump in. Father, we love you. We thank you for your love for us. God, I thank you for every person here. I thank you that you've given us your Holy Spirit and your Holy Spirit's our teacher. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and reveal things, come and flood our hearts with light. Give us a spirit of revelation and understanding. Lord, bless each one of us with eyes to see. Bless us with ears to hear, that our hearts would be like good soil and we could receive all that you have for us this morning. We praise you and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. When you read through the Old Testament, God gave specific instructions when it came to building the tabernacle and then later, later the temple. And if you've ever read through the Bible in your Bible reading plan, when you get to that part where it's giving instructions on, on building the tabernacle, that can be a little bit tedious, right? Because the instructions, it's like this many poles and this many rings for the curtains and the purple thread and the blue thread. It's like... You know, uh, there's deep significance 
to it. I, I know I don't grasp all of it, so it can be a little bit of a chore to work through because God was so detailed in how everything, he wasn't just like, hey, build something, make it nice, I don't really care. He, I mean, down, the measurements of everything, he was very specific. And as he's giving this incredible detail for how he wants the tabernacle, how he wants the temple set up, there, there's an outer court, it was a certain size. There was a, the next section, which was the holy place. Then beyond that was the most holy place or the, the holy of holies. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was and where God's presence was resting. In that holy place, as you transitioned into the Holy of Holies, there were several pieces of furniture that God specifically said, I want these items here. Here's where they go. They go along this wall. They go here. One of those pieces of furniture was a table, and it's called, referred to as the table of, of the presence. And one of the things that's significant about a table in the Bible is the idea of fellowship the idea of, of relationship, that a, a table symbolizes communion, fellowship. We, we've, we've got a relationship. There's, there's intimacy. In, in the 23rd Psalms, it's talking about the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need or I shall not want. It gets to a point where it says, he prepares a table before me in the presence of, of my enemies. So it talks about the provision of God, which we'll get to here in just a minute. But where does that provision take place? That provision isn't just a sack lunch or a to-go order. He's prepared a table. Why? Because that provision comes housed in relationship. The God, God wants to know you. He wants to have real relationship with you. And so that, that's what a table symbolizes. In, in the Bible where, where Jesus calls Zacchaeus out of the tree, what does he say to Zacchaeus that really ticks everybody off? Because he's a, he's a tax collector and nobody liked him. He said, Zacchaeus, I want you to come down out of that tree. Why? Because I'm going to your house and we're eating lunch. Going to your house, we're going to eat a meal together. Well, why did that upset people? If, if Jesus had just tossed him a bologna sandwich up in the tree, said, hey, lunch is on me, Zacchaeus, and he would have kept on walking. Do you think that would have upset people at the same level? I think people would have been irate. No fair, he gets a bologna sandwich. No, it, it wasn't just about food delivery. It was about he's going to his house. They're sharing a meal. They're going to be at a table together. There was fellowship. There's communion. There's he's going to be friends with Zacchaeus. Nobody likes Zacchaeus. No fair, Jesus is going to spend time. They're going to be relating and building fellowship and relationship. That, that's what meals symbolize. Let me read you from 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Give you one more example of this. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. It says, When I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheat people or worship idols. You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer, yet indulges in sexual sin, or is greedy, or worships idols, or is abusive, or is a drunkard, or cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. Now, this isn't the point of reading the scripture, but I, I, I want to make mention of it because it's the, the point that he's making. He's bringing clarification of something he's told the Corinthian church earlier about not associating with people. And he's, he's, he's clarifying, I didn't mean everybody. I meant specifically people that say they are our believers. And this, this is important because a lot of times in the church, we get this backwards. 
that in the church, we have this attitude, hey, you can't judge me, I can't judge you. You have no right to, to call me, hold me accountable or point out anything in my life. It's all about mercy and the love of God. We're all brothers and sisters. And there's kind of this uh, anything goes kind of attitude in the church. But then outside, we point to all those filthy sinners and those no good heathens living their sinful, immoral lives, those, those no, no good deadbeats. This is telling us that it needs to be the opposite. When it comes to people outside the church, of course they're living in sexual sin. Of course they're drunkards. Of course they're greedy. They, they don't know any better. They don't know Jesus. So it's not fair to hold people that don't know Jesus, to hold them to that standard. They don't know any better. If I didn't know Jesus, I'd be doing those same things. I wouldn't know any better. But when it comes to people in the house of God, people that say they're believers, there's supposed to be a standard. People that say they're believers, but they allow sin in their life and they keep messing around with this stuff. It says don't associate. Draw a line. Start to, start to withdraw from those people. When they're living out of line with the word of God, you start to withdraw. People that are, are sexually immoral, greedy, abusive, drunkards, cheat, cheats, all these kinds of things. People in the house of God, I, I love Jesus. When you're living like that, our relationship is over until you straighten things out. Yeah. That, that, that's the standard. That, that's what it says, right? So there, there's, there's accountability. Not everything goes in the house of God. You know, it's a, it's a blessing to be a part of the family of God. It's a blessing. It really is. And we've got to see it that way. It's not like, oh, people should be so blessed because I'm here. No, you're blessed because you get to be a part of it. And it's a blessing you can lose by not, not living right. You, you can live in such a way that you squander this blessing and you're no longer welcome. We already did the welcome. Everyone's welcome. We love everybody. <laughs> Hope you got your gift on the way in. <laughs> but if you don't behave, we want the gift back and you're no longer welcome. <laughs> but the, the reason I read that is because that last thing he says, don't even eat with those people. These kind of people, they say they're believers, they live like this, don't eat with them. What, what, why, why is he saying don't eat with them? It's, it's not about, hey, if, if we share a, a pizza together, something's going to happen, your sin's going to contaminate me. It wasn't about digesting food at the same time. That wasn't the point. The point was that don't even eat with such people. It's talking about the table. Don't, don't be in fellowship. Don't be in close relationship with, with those kinds of people. So the table represents, the, the table of the presence in the tabernacle, in the temple, it represented relationship. God wants communion with you. He wants fellowship. He, he wants to know you and for you to know him. That, that's what he wants. Not just to be this God that we kind of know about and we sing some songs and serve him from afar. He, he, wants, he wants to know you. And then on this, on this table, they were supposed to place something. They were supposed to place 12 loaves of bread. It was called the show bread. The show bread on this table was supposed to be placed there. And the showbread, one of the things that's significant about it, it represents God's provision in this relationship with his people. There was uh, 12 of them, one for each of the tribes of Israel. It represented God's provision and his care for his people. That he's got this relationship with his people. Even, even the tabernacle, tabernacle, dwelling place, that he, he positioned it right in the middle. There was a way that all the tribes were arranged with that tabernacle right in the middle. God wanted to be right in the middle of things to tabernacle, to dwell, to have relationship. This table represented that. And on that table, those loaves of bread represented the provision, God's care. He didn't just have these people and they're on their own. He takes care of his people. 
He's Jehovah Jireh, our provider. He is a good provider, and he wants his provision not just to be believed in, not just to be known about theoretically or theologically. He wants it to be on display. He wants it to be displayed, this show, showbread, a, a show of his provision, a show of his goodness, a show of his care. And part of that provision is healing. That's what we've been talking about. And again, Jesus could have used any, any analogy he wanted. He knew about the, the bread on the table. He chose bread to represent healing. Healing is the children's bread, the show bread. God wants his provision to be on display. And one of the things that he's provided for us through the sacrifice and atonement of Jesus is healing. Isaiah 53, we've read it before in this series. Jesus carried your sicknesses. He carried your diseases. He carried your pains. And by his stripes, by that beating he took on his body, healing has been made available for each one of us. You know, and when God provides something like healing, he wants you to enjoy it. You know, when you provide something for someone, if you've gone through the trouble of providing it, you want to see people enjoy what you've provided. And since he's using a food analogy here, we'll stick with the food analogy. Have you ever prepared a meal for someone? No one? Well, I have. And I'll tell you all about it. Last year, uh, I wanted to go squirrel hunting. And I don't know if you ever, squir squirrel hunting is a lot of fun until you realize now you've got a pile of dead squirrels and you know what, what in the world you're going to do with them. What do I do with these squirrels? So I, I feel bad like shooting stuff and then just not doing anything with it. So I wanted to go squirrel hunting. So I, I, I got online and I searched squirrel recipes, <laughs> which just sounds ridiculous. <laughs> squirrel recipe. The best. I actually put the best squirrel recipes, which is, I, I know if I'm going to make some, I want it to be excellent. So I, Searched the, the best squirrel recipes, and I found a recipe. This, I mean, this is getting good reviews. People seem to think squirrel, squirrel tastes really good like this. And so I told my wife, hey, could you get these ingredients? It said I needed a, an Instapot. Is that an Instapot? Um, so we, we didn't have one. We need, please get me a squirrel Instapot. So she got it. I mean, I was, I'm going all in. I'm going to prepare this. I went squirrel hunting. I skinned those little things, you know, got them all cleaned up, went through the process. I made this squirrel casserole or whatever it is. It was rice and stuff. Put it in the, the, the Instapot. Uh, so I, I went through all the trouble of providing it, preparing it. So what, what, what happens after I've prepared it and I've provided it? I want to see some people enjoy this squirrel. I'm like pressuring my kids, pressuring my wife. You got to try this squirrel. It wasn't even very good. I don't know if I messed up the recipe, if I was lied to online, or maybe that's just squirrels in general. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't good. It didn't smell good. It didn't taste good. It didn't look good. It, it was a fail. But I, I still wanted to see people. I thought maybe one of them would like it. Hey, you got to try this. Maybe they've got a taste for squirrel. Please try, try the squirrel. Just my, my wife, no way am I eating squirrel. Just try it, please. I, 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 want, I wanted to see people enjoy what I had provided for them. God feels that way about healing. And this doesn't sound like a big deal, but it is a big deal because sometimes people can get the attitude that when they are going to ask God to heal them, they, wanna, they want to receive a healing in their body or minister healing to someone else, that they're stretching God, they're pushing God, they've got to convince him, they've got to coerce him, they, they, they've got to twist his arm and present their case, and he's probably annoyed, he's probably like super put out about it, and, but maybe if I can just really uh, 
pressure him, I can get him to come through for healing. That's a total misunderstanding of the heart and the nature of God concerning healing. He's provided it, and he enjoys when you get to enjoy what he's provided. Turn to Matthew chapter 15, the story that we've been working from. Matthew chapter 15, starting in verse 21. It says this, then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Gentile woman who lived there came to him pleading, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. Then his disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away, they said. She is bothering us with all her begging. Then Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. But she came and she worshiped him, pleading, Lord, help me. So she comes to Jesus. At first, he doesn't answer. And then his disciples say, listen, Jesus, please do something. She is super annoying. She's bothering us. And so he says, hey, I, I wasn't sent except to the lost sheep. But she, she persists. And it says that she worshiped him. She, she comes to him, she worships him. Now, how, how did she worship him according to this passage? Because we'd have to change the story. We'd have to add something that isn't there. We'd have to twist something around and misrepresent scripture if we said when she came and she probably like sang a song. Maybe she did a dance. Maybe there was banners involved. She's singing a, 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 a hymn. She's singing Amazing Grace or, you know, some beautiful. She's worshiping him. That's not what it says. We, we'd have to add to, to to assume that. What does it say? How, how did she present her worship? She came to him and worshiped him saying what? Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Sometimes we think of God more like the disciples. We're, they're, we're, they're bothered by it. Send her away. She's bothering us, man. This is getting old. Please just stop already. But from God's perspective, when she came, he, he received it as worship when she said what? Help me. God, I need help. God, I don't know what to do. My daughter needs a touch. God, I know you're the only one that can do something about my problem. God, you're, you're my only resort. Only you have what I need. My eyes are on you. My focus is on you. Father, please help me. God wasn't annoyed by it. It was like a sweet, savory smell to him. It was worship to him when he, she came and she said, God, I'm relying on you. If you don't come through, I'll, I'll, I'm finished. She came to him and worshiped him saying, Lord, Help me. When you come to the Lord and want him to touch your body, touch that situation, whatever it is, God is delighted. It's worship to him. He's pleased by it. He's not put off by it. And when people, people have that attitude, I'm not going to bother him. I know, I know there's a lot going on. I mean, he's got a war in Israel he's dealing with right now. He's, he's super busy. People have it way worse than I do. You know, there's people, there's kids with cancer and stuff. And I mean, this is just like a, a, a headache I'm dealing with. You, you know, not only are you missing out on what God wants you to have, you hurt yourself, but if you'd go to him and say, God, I, I need you to touch me, that's worship. You're actually denying him worship. You're not, you're not saving him a problem to deal with. You're denying him worship because when you invite him into that situation, it's pleasing to him. Isaiah chapter 53. We've read some verses from this passage prophesying about Jesus before, what I just quoted before, that he himself bore our sicknesses and carried our diseases by his stripes were healed. A few verses later, Isaiah 53, verse 10, says this. I'm going to read it in Young's literal translation. It says, And Jehovah hath delighted to bruise him. He hath made him 
sick. It says that Jehovah, the Lord, made Jesus, talking about Jesus, it made, he made him sick. Why did he make him sick? He made him sick for the same reason that he made Jesus sin. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says that Jesus became sin. Why? He became sin. Not, he didn't commit a sin. He became, he became sin. Why? So that you could become, not that you could get some righteousness, because he didn't just get some sin. He became sin. He was sin. Why? So you could become the righteousness of God in Christ. That's who you are. That's what you are. You are righteous. Not, not just a characteristic. That's who you are. That's what you are in Christ. You are righteous. Amen? So he became sin. It's part of the substitutionary work. That he, was a, he became sin so that you could become righteous. Now, Isaiah 53 says he became sick. Not, not he got sick. Jesus didn't catch a cold. He didn't get sick. He became sick. He was sickness. Now, why did he become sickness? Same thing. He became sickness so that you could become health. You could walk in healing, divine, divine health. He was providing it for you. Now, the previous line says this, and Jehovah hath delighted, hath delighted to bruise him. New American Standard Version says this, but the Lord was pleased to crush him. He has made him sick. He delighted. It pleased the Father to crush Jesus. Now, you can read that, and it sounds a little bit twisted. He's, he's delighted. He's rubbing his hands together. He just loves Christ. I mean, make God a monster if you think of it and not really understand. What was it about him becoming sick that delighted the Father? If you think of it, just him becoming sick, that, that was pleasing to the Father. You make God a, a, a monster, a, a horrible being. But what do you think it was? Do you think it was Jesus becoming sick that delighted the Father? Or the fact that as he became sick, he knew that he was providing. That sickness was coming off of you and onto him. So he was making you whole and sound and healthy in the process. And it delighted God. It pleased him to make Jesus, to crush him with sickness. Why? Because what was pleasing to him was he was providing healing for you. It's been provided, and it, it delights God. It pleases him to know that healing has been available, is made available for all of his children through what he paid for through Jesus. It is pleasing to the Father. Amen. It's a delight to God. It's important that we understand that he's provided us that, that provision, that, that showbread. He's made it available, and it, he rejoices. He delights in seeing you and your family enjoy it. It's worship to him. He, he delights in it. It's pleasing to him. Now, if you need a touch in your body, if you're here and you're sick, in just a few minutes, I'm gonna invite you forward and you can be prayed for and I believe you'll be healed. We've had testimonies the last couple of weeks. People be, people's bodies being healed. It's, it's, it's real. It's real. People are being healed. God's word is true. And so you can be healed today. I believe that. It'll happen. There'll be people that need to be healed. They'll be healed this morning. But as we wrap up this series, I want to take the last few minutes here and focus on another aspect because Jesus' instruction was not just for us to be healed. That, that's part of it, but he didn't just say be healed. He actually instructed his followers to become healers, not just to enjoy healing. He actually instructed us to minister healing to others. That Sometimes we keep ourselves at a level where we have to stretch our faith to maybe grasp are our symptoms improving a little bit? We, we've got to raise the bar where it's not just us trying to get healed, but our faith is at a, a level. Not only am I healed, I'm, that healing is overflowing in my life and I'm ministering it to other people. Yeah. 
Amen. God wants you to lay your hands on the sick and see them and see them recover. That's the instruction we have in God's word. Mark chapter 16. These signs will follow, not, not, not just the pros. These signs will follow those who believe. If you believe there are signs that are supposed to follow, and one of them is you lay hands on sick people, and those sick people stop being sick people and become healthy people. Yeah. They lay hands on the sick, and they recover. John 14, 12, Jesus said this, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same work I have done, and even greater works, because I'm going to be with the Father. People that believe in Jesus should be living the same kind of life that Jesus led, that Jesus spent a lot of his time when he's around sick people, making sure that they weren't sick anymore, and you and I are supposed to follow his example. Thank God that we can enjoy healing ourselves. We need, we need to do that, but we also have a responsibility to minister that to others. When Jesus broke the bread with the multitudes and there was nothing to eat, and he took those loaves and he gave thanks and he began to distribute it, when he gave it to his disciples, do you think this, the disciples ate any of that bread that day? Yeah. Absolutely. It says everyone ate their fill. Everyone's hungry. Lord, what are we going to do about lunch? Bring me those couple of fish and those couple of loaves. And he, he multiplied them. So the disciples got to enjoy that bread, but then they also got to enjoy. It says Jesus broke and he distributed it to his disciples. And then his disciples took it around and they distributed it to all the crowds. God's looking for people that will not only just, not only be willing to eat that bread and enjoy divine health themselves, but they'll be distributors. They'll carry that bread and minister it to people all around them. That there's people in our neighborhoods, people in our workplaces, people in our families that need to experience that healing, well, God's entrusted you and I, believers, with the ability, with the power to minister that to others. Amen. Yeah. That we're not just enjoyers of the bread, we are ministers of the bread. God wants his provision. That, that bread was not placed in a cupboard, it wasn't in a cabinet, it wasn't under the table, it was called the show bread because he wants his provision on display. Amen. And, and that bread was supposed to be replaced on a regular basis. Every seven days, there, were, that, there wasn't just, hey, there's 12 loaves and let's just leave them. And those are the loaves from hundreds of years ago. Every seven days, those loaves would be replaced because God wanted fresh bread, fresh displays, fresh testimonies, fresh stories of his provision. Thank God that we can read about examples of people being healed and miracles in God's word. They're examples to us. Thank God that we can talk about mighty men and women of God like Catherine Kuhlman and Smith Wigglesworth and Oral Roberts and all these people that have amazing testimonies. But you you know what? At a certain point, it starts to get kind of stale. Thank God for those testimonies, but there needs to be some fresh loaves on the table, some fresh displays, a fresh group of people that will go and carry out what God instructed us to do. Amen. Some fresh bread, some fresh show bread, miracles, testimonies of what God wants to do. He wants more people to enjoy his provision. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 17. Most beautifully named book of the Bible, chapter 17. Amen. <laughs> Figures. <laughs> Luke chapter 17, starting verse 5. It says, The apostles said to the Lord, Show us how to increase our faith. The Lord answered, if you have faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, may you be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. When a servant comes in from plowing or taking care of sheep, does his master say, come in and eat with me? No, he says, prepare my meal, put on your apron and serve me while I eat. 
Then you can eat later. And does the master thank the servant for doing what he was told to do? Of course not. In the same way, when you obey me, you should say, we are unworthy servants who have simply done our duty. Now, there's a lot that we could pull from this passage. And we've talked about this before. I just want to highlight one aspect of it. Jesus says, when you obey me, when you, when you obey him, what does it mean to obey? It means to do what you're told, right? To whatever instruction you're given, you just do what you're told to do. That's, right? that, that's what obeying is. When you obey me, when you obey me, there, there's something you should be ready to say. When you obey me, here's what you should say. We're unworthy. I'm, I'm just an unworthy servant. I'm just, doing, I'm just doing my job. I'm just doing what I was told. I'm just carrying out orders, just doing my duty, just doing my job. We are, we are unworthy. Now, that word that's translated unworthy uh, isn't, isn't a thorough enough, I don't think, uh, translation of the word because it leaves some question marks. Un unworthy of what? what? What are you unworthy of? If I asked you, are you unworthy? I mean, well, that, that, that depends. What are we talking about? If I said, I'm going to buy a new house, I need some advice. I'm thinking about buying a new house. Um, it's like a, you know, it's a nice house. It's three bedrooms, two bathrooms, level lot. Do you think it's worth it? Well, you don't have enough information, right? We're worth what? what I, don't, I don't know. What do you mean? Is it worth it? Is it worth 10,000? Is it worth 10 million? I mean, you've got to, is it worth, you, you need more information. So it says we are unworthy. What, what are you unworthy of? Here's what the word literally means in the Greek. I, tra I, I copied this right out of a lexicon. It says pertaining to being without such qualities as deserve praise or commendation, not deserving special praise, not deserving special, special praise. When you obey me, here's what you should say. I'm not deserving of praise. So something apparently has happened that is praise worthy. There's been some kind of success, some kind of result that you'd have to be saying, hey, I'm, I'm not worthy of, don't, don't praise me. There's some kind of, uh, 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 response when we are obedient to him. When you obey me, here's what you should be ready to say. I'm nothing special. It's not about how great I am. Well, then what is it? It's about the master. It's about what he told me to do. I was actually just doing, to take it up with him. I was just doing what he told me to do. This actually wasn't even my idea. I'm just, I'm an unpraiseworthy. I'm nothing special. There's nothing extraordinary about me. What's extraordinary is the master that I serve, that he's just, I'm just doing what I was told. I'm just carrying out orders. I was just doing my duty. That kind of attitude will help us to minister along these lines because people can get into a mindset that you've got to be some kind of elite, high-level, nationally televised person to be able to minister healing to people. Well, that, that's not the case. Actually, the opposite is the case. You just need to be a servant who's willing to do what you're told. Uh, there's nothing special about me, nothing extraordinary. I'm just a servant that's willing to do what the master has told me to do. I'm just someone who does his job. I'm just a servant who does his job. Everything praiseworthy goes to him. He's, he's the one that decided for things to go like this. He's the one that gave me the instruction to lay hands on you. God gets all of the praise. And I'll give you an example of a time where this actually happened in disciples' lives, where people, they did something and they had to say almost something exactly along these lines. Don't, don't praise us. We're, at, we're just servants that, that serve the Lord. Let me, let me turn quickly to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. You don't have to turn there. Starting in verse eight, I'll, I'll read it word for word so you can trust me. Acts 14, 
starting in verse 8. It says, While they were at Lystra, Paul and Barnabas came upon a man with crippled feet. He had been that way from birth, so he had never walked. He was sitting and listening as Paul preached. Looking straight at him, Paul realized he had faith to be healed. So Paul called to him in a loud voice, Stand up. And the man jumped to his feet and started walking. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in their local dialect, These men are gods in human form. They decided that Barnabas was the Greek god Zeus and that Paul was Hermes since he was the chief speaker. Now the temple of Zeus was located just outside the town. So the priests of the temple and the crowd brought bulls and wreaths of flowers to the town gates and they prepared to offer sacrifices to the apostles. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard what was happening, they tore their clothing in dismay and ran out among the people shouting, friends, why are you doing this? We are merely human beings just like you. We have come to bring you the good news that you should turn from these worthless things and turn to the living God who made heaven and earth, the sea and everything, everything in them. And they go on, on from there. What happened that they were having to say, don't praise us, praise God. We're just regular people. We're just servants. We're just human beings like you. That they, they did what they were told. They ministered and someone got healed. Someone's life was changed. Feet that didn't used to work started to work. The man jumps up, starts to walk around and they decide, man, you guys are something special. It's exactly what Jesus said. When, when you do what you are told. The, the, the question was, Jesus, how can I have greater faith? I want to be like you. Just do what you're told. Obey. You don't have to think, yeah, I feel something special. I got this weird tingling on the back of my neck. Just do what you're told. What have we been told to do? We've been told to lay our hands on the sick and see them and see them recover. That we would be servants, nothing special, not trying to, 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 to be fancy, just a bunch of servants that are willing to do our jobs. Amen? I'm just a servant that I'm willing to do my job. That's what makes me different. That's what makes you different. We're just servants willing to do what we've been told to do. And you're able to do it because Jesus said that you could. He instructed you to do it. I think it was Kenneth Hagin that I heard say that when God gives a command, it's the equivalent of him making an oath that you're able to do whatever it is that he commanded. Whenever God gives a command, it's the equivalent of an oath. I'm taking an oath, you are able to do this. Otherwise, it would be unjust for God to give you a command that you're incapable of carrying it out. I'll do this, I, I can't, well, you're destined to disobedience. There's nothing you can do. But when he gives a command, it's the equivalent. It's like God taking an oath. I solemnly swear you are able to lay your hands on the sick and see them recover. Whatever the command is. It's an oath. You are able, you are able to do it, to lay hands on the sick and they recover. Very, very quickly, when you minister to people, if you haven't been up until this point, from this point moving forward, as you minister healing to people, it's not, it's not complicated. When you pray for them, you speak to the situation and you minister healing. What we just read, he, he spoke to the, the man, said, stand up. Peter at the gate, beautiful. Silver and gold have I none. What I do have, I give to you. He knew what he had. In the name of Jesus, rise and walk. Lots of examples. In fact, there's no example in the New Testament of somebody ministering healing and praying to the Father. They, they just spoke to the situation because God has instructed us to do it. So if God says, I want you to do this, it's not right to then turn around and ask God to do the very thing. Hey, I want you to heal people. God, would you heal? That's what I just told you to do. Just put it back on him. 
He's empowered us and anointed us, called us as his servants, enabled us to go by the power of the Holy Spirit to minister healing to people. So there's no example of, of, of Jesus or the apostles, the disciples, ministering healing to someone saying, Father, I beseech you. They, they just went right to the source. Be healed. Stand up. Went right forward. So like Pastor Jonathan talked about last week, you've got to know that it's God's will. So don't undermine your prayer by saying, God, if it's your will, will this person be healed? It is his will. Now minister healing. No, if it, be, if it be thy will, none of that. Just be healed. Bind whatever needs bound. Let the Holy Spirit lead you. Spirit of infirmity, sickness, disease, whatever it is, I, you have to go. Be healed. And I loose the healing power of Jesus into this vessel. In the name of Jesus, be healed. Sickness has to go. Minister, minister healing. It's show bread. Putting bread on display. Fresh, fresh bread to bring God glory. You know, when you read through the New Testament, every time someone was healed like that, people started celebrating and giving God glory and praise and honor. He wants his provision on display. It brings him honor and praise. Not only is the request, the request worship, it, it begins to like snowball. The request he receives is worship. After people receive the healing, their response is worship. That's what happens when his bread is on display. Over and over again, when people were healed by Jesus, man, what a good God, what a faithful God, what amazing things we've seen. Mark chapter seven, verse 37, he, the, the blind walk, the, the lame are healed, the, the, the deaf are able to hear. Everything he does is wonderful. He does all things well. He receives glory and honor when we do that. Let, let me read a couple of more verses, then we'll pray. Matthew chapter 28. This is the Great Commission, verse 18. It says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus sent his disciples out to go and minister healing. And then he said, I want you to go and make new disciples and I want you to pass every instruction, tell the new disciples to obey all the commands that I've given you. So we can't disqualify ourselves like, ah, oh, that's just what he told the, the, the apostles or the disciples. He told them, pass it on. I want them to go and heal people as well. And then he said, be sure of this. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm with you always. Say, say God is with me always. He's with you always. How, how many of you really believe God, God is with me? God's with me. He'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. He's with me always. God is with you. Amen? God is with you. Whether you feel it, you don't feel it, you feel good, you feel bad, you're tired, you're, whatever it is. You feel sad. God is, I, I, be sure of this. It was important. Everything Jesus said is important, but when he emphasizes something, you, you need to lean in. Surely. Don't, don't doubt it. Don't dismiss this. Surely I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. He's emphasizing this. God is with you. If, you. if you are a Christian, God's with you. He's with you always, to the very end. He, he'll, ne he'll never leave. One more verse. Acts 10, 38. And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him because God was with him. Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. Why? How? How was he able to do that? Because God was with him. 
Amen? Because, because God was with him, you, you, can, you can flip that sentence around and see the emphasis. Because God was with him, Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the enemy. Right? Many of you just raised your hand and said, I know that God is with me. I know God's with me. He's with me always, even to the end of the age. I know that he's with me. Well, what does that mean? It means the same thing for you that it meant for Jesus, that, that you can go around doing good and healing those who are oppressed of the devil. Why? Because God is with you. But because God is with you, you carry his power. You carry his ability. You carry his authority. In fact, you're under his authority to go and use that authority on his behalf and carry out his desires to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. Amen? That God, because God is with you, God, God is with you. You have that ability to minister to people and people need ministered too. Amen. You, you, there's compassion that God puts in your heart. You see people are sick, man, what a shame. Someone should do something about that. Yeah. You, you've been empowered, man. I oh, wouldn't it be crazy. Wouldn't it be awesome. Wouldn't it be wonderful. If somebody could just, yes. And you've been given that power. You've been given that authority. Start using it. Start, start growing in it. Start practicing, put it to use, develop it. Well, that's this week's message. Thanks for joining us. To stay connected with us throughout the week, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can also watch previous week's services on our YouTube page.